welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. Good morning, Rachel. I'm sorry if that puts listeners off because it's not morning wherever they are. They're listening whenever they want to listen. But we do this in the morning and we can tell because I have a mimosa flight this morning. I have three. I'm I'm so envious. I was busy with my side hustle till the second I sat down in this chair. So I didn't have time to mix any sort of classic Sunday morning cocktail. All right. Well, this is the Tiffany's Mimosa. And okay, give us the uh, ingredients, please. It is blue carousel, prosecco, and lemonade. Nice, I love it. Looks a little like blue antifreeze, but it's the color of a tip. It's supposed to be the color of a Tiffany's box, so nonetheless. Mm-hmm. All right, so today we are going through breaking down episode 20, Fear No More, written by Adam Barr, directed by Jeff Mailman, and it first aired May 1st, 2005. And we don't have any new podcast, or we don't have any new reviews on Apple Podcasts, so nothing there. Leave us a review, five-star review, and we'll read whatever you say in your review. Want to take us to a summary? Sure. So we have Susan trying to help Julie with her Zach, her little Zach issue in this episode. We've got Bree and Rex and George in a little bit of a love triangle. Our girl Gabby finds out some interesting news and is less than thrilled with it. And then your favorite and mine, Tom Scavo, is up to being a dum-dum again. And I think that pretty much covers it. Dum-dum and all dum-dum that go silly. Ooh, all right. Well, in the cold open, we have Marielle saying that since she was a little girl, Susan Meyer had wanted to be a mother in the worst way. And from the first day she brought Julie home from the hospital. She was. Despite her desire to do well by her daughter, Susan suffered through countless failures. Of course, it took Susan a few years to realize that even the best of parents make mistakes now and then. But now that Julie was a teenage girl, Susan had started to realize there was no room for error. And I completely understand how these things can happen, right? In the spinny flashback, we have Susan leaving Julie on the couch and Julie rolling off of the couch and you find her on the floor. That one hasn't happened to me. That one actually did not happen to me, but it's happened to my sister. It happened to my mom and we all turned out just fine. I was the first one to bonk my daughter's infant head on something when I was doing a diaper change. Oh dear. Um, and then we saw her on the merry go. Oh, well, we saw her leave her in the car seat and leave the house or leave the apartment and then come back and get her a few seconds later. And then we see her on the merry go round or carousel, whichever you're calling that. And she spins her off because she's spinning in too too hard. And side note, I don't believe that those are on playgrounds anymore. I'm certainly not at ours. But. Yeah, we used to get real sick on ours. like Because ours had, didn't wasn't flat. Okay. The one in our park, it wasn't flat. So it would kind of like spin, but then also like do a little side to side shimmy. And you. it was a little bit of like Russian roulette at the playground. Yeah. Would you get thrown or would you throw up or would you survive it? And I, mean, I think it that looks kind of was literally like alert. a roulette wheel. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, I exactly. love it. I love it. We have the at Susan's house, we have Zach throwing gravel at Julie's window, which to me is just it's archaic. It's so it's so reminiscent of times be gone, right? I think even when I was in high school, somebody said that they were going to throw pebbles at my my window because he lived in my neighborhood or knew where I lived or something. And I was like, wow, that's, that was old even for that time. And that was around the same time as Desperate Housewives. And as he's doing that, trying to get her attention, Susan goes to intervene and gets a face full of gravel. 
Of course she gets a face full, an eyeball full of gravel. Of course. Oh, and I just, I, I've had things, I've had the, the eye surgery, so I don't wear contacts anymore, but I remember anything getting in your contacts, anything getting in your eye is the worst. And it takes like 24 hours to reset and get all your eye fluid back in there and do it all the eye drops. So as I'm watching that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yes. I actually, right before the pandemic had to have like a little bit of an eyelid surgery on, Mm -hmm. on all four lids, upper and lower on all of them. And so anytime there's any sort of eyeball related tragedy, I just, I have to look away because I have a little bit of baggage related to that. But Zach is trying really hard to be romantic and it just never works for him. Like it always, it always translates as creepy as hell to me. Yep. Um, so slightly menacing. Slight, yeah, yeah. Like I love you so much. I'm gonna keep you in my basement, kind of thing. It's like a, it's a real you. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Vibes. Exactly, exactly. So Julie thanks Susan for getting Zach off her back, and I have to say, like Julie is a pretty competent girl. And it surprises me that she's not more assertive here. And I don't know if it's because she feels a little um, scared of him, but I'm surprised she's not able to tell him to go kick rocks herself. Like her character has, I feel some inconsistencies there. But so after Susan gets his face full of gravel, they cut to Julie sitting on the couch trying to help Susan with her eyeballs. And Zach is in the living room. And my question is, why on earth are they letting him back in the house? Because if you remember... Mm. The last time he was in their home, he threw a temper tantrum and was screaming and throwing furniture and being a real scary guy. So I'm not sure why he's still coming into their house like that. Yeah. Just because he's throwing gravel out the window and now you have a face full of gravel doesn't mean that you should open the door, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe don't let him in. Maybe 101. Yeah, exactly. So we come back from the cold open. We have Mary Elsa's opening lines that spring comes every year to Wisteria Lane. Does it though? I really want to know geographically and regionally, does it really? Because not all places have all four seasons, but nonetheless. It feels Um, to me like it is spring 100% of the time there. Just going to say that. Okay. Yeah. More so. I agree. It's the time when flowers start to bloom, when butterflies emerge from their cocoons, when bees begin their search for nectar. Spring is also the time when a young man's fancy turns to obsession. So more you vibes as we get into George. Yes. And obsession is totally the right word. And I thought that that little exchange. So we've got Brie and Rex running into George at the park at an orchid festival. And I will tell you, I love orchids. They make me feel so fancy when I have them. (laughs) And I love to get the little tiny ones at Trader Joe's. And if you remember the day that my dog ate all that butter, (laughs) when he was getting the butter, he knocked over one of my orchids. That And it was like one of my ones that the flowers came back multiple times, which doesn't always Mm -hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. And so it was very sad that an orchid was also a casualty that day, along with a large tub of Irish butter. So anyway, we have Brie and Rex talking to George and George, or Brie and yeah, George, talking to George. And we have George asking how Rex is doing. And I feel like that mm-hmm. there was a lot of little hidden, hidden things there. So they... Brie and Rex talk about how Rex's doctor upped the dosage and it's not working and he's he's kind of an idiot. And so George kind of snickers and then invites them to a bonsai exhibit, which him inviting Brie and Rex to something together, like why torture yourself like that? <laughs> uh, of course, Rex won't go. Rex says something exactly. to them. Exactly. That's exactly why you do it because you know Rex isn't going to come. You'll have Brie all to yourself. Yeah, but Rex, if you're worried about your wife and this guy, like you be a good husband and go. If you right. want your wife to be able to go, but you think he's a weirdo, you should also go to keep her safe. So I love how Rex says, why don't you put a gun to my head? That'll be quicker. And George is basically like, I mean, that's not a bad idea. So the rest of this cringy scene kind of goes to three wanting to go, but if you feel threatened and then... George saying something about, I hate people who own precious flowers and don't know how to take care of them. And Mm -hmm. Rex says, I hate weeds. And George says, with the proper chemicals, you can kill anything, which we know that's kind of what he's trying to do by jacking around with Rex's medicine. So that just was a real cringy scene, but with a lot of really good little jabs in there that kind of like connect to the other, the backstory that they're not really talking about, but as viewers, we know is there. Particularly from a pharmacist, right? 
mm-hmm. the proper chemicals, you can kill anything. I had a friend who was a pharmacist, still is a pharmacist, and he said that. He's like, I wonder if women are ever worried that I'm going to, you know, go crazy or something and poison them. And that's why I don't have a girlfriend. Uh, he was a very nice guy. That was so not the case. That was so not the case. Um, so Gabrielle, meanwhile, is out buying a new car. Just because and he that- wants you. On a Tuesday. Yeah, and the color of that car is striking and beautiful. Yes, yes. Um, and she wants it in her driveway by Saturday. Like she's very specific about that, which I was like, come on, Gabby. It's I mean, you probably like the car, but it's really that you want it by Saturday because you want people to see it. Like Absolutely. At your husband's going to jail party. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's really there is a car for every occasion, I suppose. And she finds one that she likes and the smell of the car makes her feel nauseous and she throws up and the saleswoman suggests that Gabrielle might be pregnant and therefore, you know, this, this, this little sports car is not going to work for you. The spider is not going to work for you. Let's get you into something more sensible. Let's get you into something with four doors. You're never going to get a car seat in the back of that. And Gabrielle is just incensed. She's like, I'm yes. pill for God's sake, as if that's never happened to anybody. Right. Right. And the the smell of calf, like when she said this is 100% calf, I guess maybe we weren't as conscious of what we're doing to the environment and the sustainability of things. But I kind of threw up a little bit when they said the smell of calf. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be excited about the leather in my car because it smells like an animal. Like that's not for me. It's real. That's how you can tell. That smell, that's authentic. Oh, gosh. Then give me the give me the non-authentic. But also for real, what do you do with that car now that somebody has barfed in it? Because they had their squid game looking people that were like cleaning <laughs> up, but like, can you really put that car back out on the lot? Or does that now become one of your like demo cars or like yes. your when you have it in there for show and people can order it, but like, are you ever really gonna sell that specific one? I mean, probably they do, because that's a pretty expensive car to make it a throwaway. But like, if I have purchased a car that somebody has barfed in, I hope they got it all up. Yeah. So (laughs) listeners, if you're a detailer or if you uh, are in auto sales, we would love to know what you do if somebody throws up in the car before they buy it. And particularly for Gabby, she said, I'm not taking this one. I vomited in this one. She's like, absolutely. We'll get you a fresh car uh, while they're cleaning out that one. Now for me, the guilt is so bad. If I throw in that car, that's probably, I even if I didn't want the car, I feel like I would almost be like, I have to buy it now because I threw up in it. Yes. Yes. My, my guilt is just a thing of beauty and people are making money off me day and night. <laughs> so... We head over to Tom's office where Lynette comes to bring him a file and how Lynette is able to run something to Tom at his office. Like, where's where the, are the kids? Did where's you do Lynette? it with McCluskey? Because you're going to owe her, she's, you're going to owe her another lamp. Right. But also if McCluskey's arthritis is so bad, do you have her watching your, your pack of wild children are the boys in school maybe but where's the baby i have so many questions Um, maybe her arthritis is handled because she's able to get to her medicine now maybe maybe just saying could be could because lynette got her the right lids for her bottles yes so lynette pops in to drop off this file and notices tom's ex-girlfriend annabelle foster Mm -hmm. at the firm and lynette gets pretty enraged with this because she she has some flash. There's a little bit of a flashback on how Lynette and Tom ended up together. So mm-hmm. we have Annabelle who eight years ago, Tom wouldn't marry her because he just doesn't marry. And then he meets Lynette and Annabelle and Tom break up and she moves back to Chicago and shout out to the Windy City. And <laughs> so then Lynette and Tom end up together and wedded bliss or whatever. And now we know that Annabelle has been back at the firm working with Tom for three months. And I would just like to pose the question, Tom Scavo, why do you suck so bad? And why are you so dumb? Like, And this is not something that was going to not come up again, right? It's been three months, man, you made it through almost a season of not of your wife, not knowing this, but if she's going to be there long-term, eventually you're going to know. And now you've kind of lied about it for three months. And that to me would be, would signal the bigger problem. Yes. I also would like to know Lynette can be so cutthroat in so many areas of her life, but this man treats her like a doormat. 
Yeah. And again, with the character inconsistencies, and I know like love will make you do crazy things and whatever, but like, I don't know, Lynette's at home watching these kids and being so bogged down at some point that she's taking ADHD medicine and, you know, has all this other stuff going on. And Tom's just continuing to do the dumbest things. And I just, I don't understand why she doesn't take a harder line with him. And there's some writing in this and we'll get to that later, but we'll like probably do a better dive on this later after the dinner party and things like that. But it's not lost on me. Again, there are women in the writer's room, presumably, but this episode is written by a man. And so some of the, some of the dialogue for me really struck as I just have never met a woman who would say that. And I've never, or didn't respond to that. Guys, yeah, that's what I was there, there it is. Even if that is what a man would say in the situation, and you're a man and you're writing it, and you have uh, the likelihood of being right about that, I've never met a woman who wouldn't have responded to that or yes. responded it the way you wrote it. So there's there's a lot going on there, and I I, I want to break that up when we get there. But in the meantime, yeah, I want to kill I want to kill Tom too. As we walk over to. Paul, well, actually, we walk over to the construction site, Edie's construction site, because she's making a house. I'm just so jealous because I want to build a house so badly. That's like my ultimate dream. Maybe I'll do that in my retirement. Um, Paul asks Edie why she broke into his house. And while she hems and haws a little bit about it, eventually Edie informs Paul that it was all Susan's idea. Go figure. It's always Susan's fault, Edie. It's never your fault. And Paul learns that Susan actually was not able to watch the video with the name Angela on it because Paul came home early. And when he had found the videotape in the couch cushions, he wasn't sure whether or not she was able to get to it or not. While all this is happening, Mike overhears and he just looks, I, I put it in my notes, smoldering. Like he's taking in all the all the stimulus and he's just looking like a smoke show. Quick question. So in the middle of that exchange, Paul threatens to call the police. Mm. And I'm wondering at this point, would calling the police do anything? Because I, I'm trying to remember sequence of events. Did Zach throw his weird party before or after Susan and Edie were in the house? I can't remember for sure, but I have to imagine like it's been a hot minute since they were in his house on that breaking and entering mission. And so I'm just kind of wondering, like, at this point, calling the cops, like, are they, is there really going to be anything that comes from that other than them just like having a red flag on Susan? And with that being said, if I were Edie, I guess my answer would be, and I don't know how far it went, but if we remember back to that scene, in order to distract Paul yeah. so that Susan could get out, she like yeah. lays a, a huge makeout on him. And yeah. I don't know how far that went, but if I were Edie, the way I would have handled that was, okay, so you're going to tell the cops I broke into your house and then we had sex or we made out or whatever right. the case is. Right. Can I dial the phone for you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an empty threat or bad writing. So we cut to Susan popping into a coffee shop and she, Mike also comes in. And so to try to avoid Mike, she sits down with a table full of strangers who kind of look at her like, um, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Yeah, which I don't know. Would you ever do that? Would you ever just sit down with a random group of people to try to avoid somebody in such an obvious fashion? Yes, I have no shame. Okay. And also, did he go to that coffee shop specifically to find her? Does he have a tracer on Susan? That's a good one. And that would be somewhat that would be somewhat abusive. That would be abusive. Right. Right. And did he buy coffee? Because I don't, I know she had her coffee. Right. So in the, that whole mix, Mike tells Susan to stay away from Paul and Susan asks why. And Mike just says, well, he's a, he's a bad guy. You sh- I don't want you around him. And Susan's like, okay, I promise I'll stay away. And then Mike leaves the coffee shop. So like, oh yeah, where he is there his to, he, like, he went there to get her. Yeah. Over at Bree's house, Rick tells Bree that she shouldn't go out with George anymore because it's obvious that he's still in love with her. Uh, Rex even mentions that they should switch pharmacies, and obviously the dramatic irony there is, is Rich. Yes, yes best, you right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe somebody who wants my wife and doesn't like me shouldn't be filling my prescriptions. Maybe they also shouldn't be doing your hair. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. they also shouldn't be your banker. Really, we should just cut ties with people that don't have our best interests in heart or have a, a conflict of interest um, yes, for agreed. our own safety, right? That just makes good sense. 
Rex, what Brie agrees, she says that she'll miss that George has a way of making her feel good about herself. And that one struck me and I was sad. Mm -hmm. And if I'm Rex, it's that, wow, I need to add that to my to-do list. Please let me, let me fulfill that need. My wife is obviously struggling with feeling this and I can be there to meet that need. But I just don't think that that's sinking into Rex at all because towards the end of this interaction, they talk a little bit about how Rex says, when you touch George, he, you know, he gives the same reaction that I used two years ago. And Bree says, so that doesn't happen anymore. And he says, no, of course not. It's you know, been this many years. And she said, yeah. 18. We've been married for 18 years. Excellent. Said. Which gives me some 18 years, nine months, because I know that Andrew is <laughs> how old Andrew is. Anyway, but she says, yeah, so we've been married 18 years and you still don't know when I need you to lie. That's a sad moment. Yeah, um, it is. Also, of course. So, like, I don't, but I don't know though. Like, Brie, come on. Of course, you shouldn't go. I can imagine. I if, agree. It's very disrespectful to, to that relationship that you apparently want to work. Yes. If my husband were to say, like, yeah, I don't think you should go do X, Y, and Z because that person has feelings for you, then I'd be like, okay, you're right. Like, yes. I don't know. Are they married or not? Like they're married and they're living in the same house. And are they working on things? Are they not working on things? Because if there's, if there's any sense of them working on things, then breathe, that should be your focus. You don't need to go to the bonsai festival with this man who's obviously, obviously in love with you. And if it's that you're going because he makes you feel good about yourself and your husband doesn't, then you need to reevaluate some shit. And are you still in therapy? Because I have to imagine that this comes up in therapy when you're talking about things and trying to work on your relationship that a therapist would agree and say, yeah, I think that that person being in your life is not good for reconciliation. Agree. Agree. Take us to the pharmacy. So we go to the pharmacy and we've got Gabby there searching for a pregnancy test. She wants to know which one is the best one and asks if she can use the restroom. And she's told no, it's for employees. And then by Ginger. And then George lights her up and is like, you know, you need to be nicer to guests. So Gabby takes her pregnancy tests into the bathroom. Bree shows up and says that she can't go to the bonsai festival because, you know, she Rex fears that George saw his feelings for her. And George is like, well, I don't, I don't care about you. I'm in love with Ginger. And Ginger's like over at the shelves, like (laughs) stocking the shelves. So Bree invites George and Ginger to Gabby and Carlos's goodbye. I'm going to jail barbecue. And then all of a sudden Gabrielle screams from the bathroom. So we're going to read between the lines there and infer that she's found some news that is not what she's hoping to hear. So George to Ginger, that was ridiculous. Like he is, he is such a Jekyll and Hyde where he's Mm. so kind and like docile when he's talking to Brie, but then he turns around and is such a controlling asshole to this poor girl who, if I were her, I would like throw my smock down and walk right out and be like, take my paycheck and donate it to the local, you know, women's shelter because you are horrible and no thanks. And I think that, I think that that also speaks to a 2004 mm, moray that we have about service work and that you can just treat anybody any way that you want, particularly if you're a person in power. And it really hits right here. It's really grating right here. Mm-hmm. And that you just don't have to tolerate that anymore. Also, it's a wide open job market. Right. Best of luck to you in recruiting right. and retaining great employees when that is the leadership that you have. And he's just, he's just awful. He's just awful. Also, yes. are you, are you at all struck by the fact that her name is Ginger and she has black hair? Is that a thing for you? No, I, that didn't no. even occur to me. Okay. Well, yeah. I think of Ginger and I think of like Gilligan's Island. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So. Also, do we just randomly invite other people to our friends' barbecues like that? Oh yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, again, Amanda, I wouldn't care if you showed up with somebody to my house and I invited you. So if I invited you somewhere and you brought somebody with you, it probably wouldn't bother me, but that is weird and a little off brand for Brie, who is all about etiquette. Yeah. I just you have no like, etiquette, Amanda. I'm just saying that we have a casual, like we have a more casual relationship. Like yeah, anybody can drink in my house. It's fine. Sure. But I feel like, okay. I feel like let's say you have a friend come into town and you know, okay, let's say my friend Paula comes in from Ohio, right? 
And I do have a friend, Paula, that lives in Ohio, by the way. So Paula from Ohio comes and you're having a thing and I want to go to the thing, but I have my friend here that I'm entertaining. I might say to you like, hey, is it cool if my if my friend comes with so that I can go, but still hang with my friend? But like, I wouldn't just be like in my driveway having a cocktail with my neighbors and be like, oh, I'm going to this thing at my friend Rachel's house. You guys should come. If they're not in the same like friend group or whatever. But also, even if they were, I would never make an assumption because when you plan a party, you plan the right amount of food and you you determine the guest list. And like, I would at least like say, hey, Rachel, is it? I was hanging out with these people and I didn't mention it, but I'm wondering like, maybe you forgot them. Is it okay if I bring them? But actually, I probably wouldn't. I probably would just be like, well, sorry, guys, I got a thing. I got a role. And it might just be the that might just be a personal decision, but for but for like Brie, I do think it's off brand. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. Thank you for that. I didn't think about yeah. that. Yeah, it's Gabby's party and she's in the bathroom having a meltdown. She did mm. say on her way out, I'll call you later, Brie. But yeah. Brie wasn't there to get enough context about the fact that she was in the bathroom with a pregnancy test when Gabby comes out and says, there's no toilet paper in there. And like, she's enraged about no toilet paper. And she's like, all right, sure, that, that'll do. Um, over at Lynette and Tom's, Lynette has been waiting all all day for Tom to show back up uh, to the house. And they talk about Annabelle. Tom says that he helped Annabelle get the job because he felt bad about how their relationship ended, that she was devastated when he left her for Lynette, wants him to stop working with her. Now, that, that's going to be tricky because what do you do about that situation? One, Tom's not her boss, but if he were her boss, it would be a real problem to get rid of her because my wife doesn't want you to work with me anymore. There's there's a lot of legal and HR-related issues that that would cause. But in particular, Lynette says, weren't they trying to start like a advertising firm in Belize? I think Belize would be a perfect place for Annabelle to be. But Tom's not supportive at all. He's not going to do anything about this. Not that I think legally or ethically he should, but he's also not being very supportive of how she feels. Definitely not. And she asks why he didn't tell her. And he said, because I knew how you'd react. And I, I appreciate that honesty from Tom, like, but also that's not a reason to not tell your wife. Like, I'm glad that you gave her the real reason you didn't tell her, but like, that's not a reason. And she's not crazy. She's not crazy for wanting this because if you remember when his dad was having an affair, he wasn't as bent out of shape about it as she needed him to be. And so I feel if I were Lynette, I would kind of call back to that and be like, your attitude about this is pretty cavalier. And like, this is not drama that I need in my home. Right. You know? And our relationship certainly doesn't need it. No. Definitely. We also, I mean, it, they didn't even do a callback to this, but it, you did, you kind of did the callback to it is that Tom has a secret and we still haven't revisited it yes. from the time that his dad was back. He said, I've done something. And when Lynette finds out, I just don't know how we're going to survive it. And I thought of that too. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's interesting that they're not doing a callback to that at all, but I guess where would they, because that exchange happens between Tom and his dad we don't see Tom outside of the lens of Lynette necessarily. We, we usually no. don't see his narrative unless it's interacting with one of the housewives, which is typical, right? Yes, for sure. He's not a main character. No, and, and we're supposed to be sympathetic to Lynette. This is marketed that our audience, however poorly written sometimes, men write for women could be. Yes, agree. We go over to Susan's house and her mom's still there literally nailing a beaded curtain into the doorway. What in the French toast? If you are at <laughs> like this, if you are using nails, it better be at the top of the door. Like we have nails in a couple spots for Christmas garland that stay okay. there okay. just to like hook it to. But like literally you're nailing into the wood trim, this beaded curtain. What? Very Why is she still here? Why is she still here? But also... Why does she have the audacity to actually nail into the anything? I don't know. That just, I was, I was emblematic of her lack of boundaries. Yes. That that she is entitled to this space. Yes. And Susan just can't even like, doesn't even say anything back to her. Cause at this point, what do you say? Cause her mom just isn't getting the hint. So then we have Zach showing up, bringing Susan a Gerber Daisy because he wants to apologize 
And he's like, this is really hard on Julie that her mom and her boyfriend don't, you know, don't get along. So we have to get over this for Julie's sake. And Susan kind of lays it on Zach that Julie doesn't think of him as her boyfriend and that she kind of doesn't want anything to do with them. So he throws a little bit of a tanty again and says that he, it's because of Susan telling him, you know, bad things about her or whatever. And then of course, Paul Young happens to step outside and see this at the exact right time and calls for Zach to come home. And then we cut to Felicia and her, was she watering plants? Maybe she was doing something with plants and she sees this and is kind of like, hmm. So I don't know. How did Paul happen to step out at exactly the right time? And also Zach, get the hint and just don't cross the street anymore. Just do not cross the street anymore. The obsession will not, will not abate until it's, until it's fulfilled. And it will, and again, as it usually is, that yes. precedes madness. And that's where we're, we are, I think. And it's possible that Paul overheard, you know, the raised voices because Zach is raising his voice yes. at Susan. Yes. In terms of Felicia clocking it, I would like to talk about that that flashback. So in the flashback where Felicia's clocking it, Felicia recalls Martha asking, how do you know Mary Alice Young, referring to a picture of her? And Felicia said, her name is Angela Forrest. We work together uh, at a rehabilitation clinic. Martha argues with her and is like, absolutely. Don't you, don't be dense. Don't you think I know my own neighbor? I, I got to say, like, I don't know that I would have that much confidence of who somebody is in a picture that was taken years, like years before. Do you never, know what I mean? Never. I'd be like, oh, that's so weird. That person looks like my friend Amanda. And yeah. maybe maybe later I would think to myself, that was weird that it looked like my friend Amanda. Yeah. Felicia, Felicia asks if Mary Alice has children and Martha says one, a boy, a teenager. Okay. So this is fairly recent that this exchange happened. Not too long. She's had a teenager. I would assume he's 18. I suppose it could have happened in the last two years or something like that. But Felicia kind of spills the beans. Felicia says that she and Angela worked together with a disturbed young woman who bore a son. And a year later, Angela and her husband disappeared. And not long after that, she found out that the baby was missing. And Felicia said that she had always hoped Angela had given the baby a proper home. But she doesn't seem convinced that Mary Alice is Angela. That, that, that She's like, if your neighbor really is Angela, which I highly doubt, then that baby is very lucky. And... Martha said, are you saying she stole this woman's baby? And she said, well, you know, very, very dismissive of the fact that addiction is a medical illness. Mm -hmm. Says she was a drug addict. You know, it it doesn't mean you don't love your kid. It doesn't, you know, you might be really having some struggles, but I mean, she just really dehumanizes that patient and it feels, it feels really icky. Again, might be a 2022 spin on me looking at this 2005 work but nonetheless it doesn't feel like Felicia is absolutely certain that Mary Alice is Angela which we know she is because we've already seen the evidence of that but Martha seems to be like yeah that absolutely seems like something that would have happened and since we know that Martha was blackmailing Mary Alice this kind of gives us a timeline of how long that had been happening because if she realized this when she was a teenager it couldn't have been going on Long, I would say it couldn't have been going on longer than two years because I think you would think of Zach as a teenager from 16 to 18, even though 15, 13 are all things, but I don't think it was that long. It was also interesting to me. I think this might be part of the serialization of how we told stories in 2005. Again, it's 24 episodes long and you don't have the ability to DVR or go back to something that's kind of after VHS. So you need continuity in storytelling in case somebody missed it. But we already know that Felicia thinks Zach is Dana. Mm-hmm. So this flashback, it feels a little bit out of place in terms of time that maybe she should have thought about this before, but it might serve the purpose of reminding people, being a callback if you missed that episode. What, do you, what did you think? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It felt fine to you there? I mean, it felt a little weird, but... Okay. I was pretty fixated on a prediction that this was Deirdre's baby. So Zach is Mike's baby. Like that's, that's kind of where my brain was. Like I was spiraling around that and not really looking at it from the, like, how are they telling the story kind of lens? Fair enough. Yeah. yeah so. And go over to Tom's. 
Yeah. So we go to Tom's office and Lynette walks in looking like she's about to go out to dinner at like the, you know, in the signature room in the Willis Tower with her (laughs) beautiful dress and some heels. Um, She comes to confront Annabelle and she just right out of the gate is like, so Annabelle, do you have feelings for Tom? And Annabelle... Doesn't say no. I mean, I don't know how I would respond to this at my place of business. I don't know that I would be like, yeah, I do. And I'm here to get him back. I don't know. And I feel like we still don't know at this point, is she just being flirty with Tom? Is she there? Is she there to further her career or is she mm-hmm. there with a different ulterior motive? But Lynette comes in pretty hot with yeah. her interrogation right away. That, you know, we're a team, we're indestructible. And at the same time, if I'm Annabelle, it's like, yeah, I think you doth protest too much. Right, right. You're not showing up here looking like this if your marriage is ironclad and you aren't worried about it. So then we head with Gabby to the church and <laughs> she's having a conversation about how God's basically messing with her. And the priest kind of is like, well, what if you looked at this as a blessing instead? And she's like, yeah, it's not. It's definitely not. So she talks about, you know, 99.9% or whatever percentage she gives accuracy with birth control. And father says, you know, maybe God lies in that 10th of a percent or whatever. And Gabby just wants to know who she should be pissed off at here that she, yeah, it's really interesting interesting that that's what she goes for guidance to a spiritual guide for is who should I be mad at? Right. Right. Oh, Gabby. I know. I get that. Um, Lynette visits Edie for tips on how to protect her relationship with Tom. Again, back at the construction site. Edie is a hard 10 at a construction site. I would be wearing like things that aren't going to get messed up, but maybe all she's doing is looking at blueprints anyway. Yeah. And Lynette (laughs) says to her, you're basically a predator and I need some advice. Oh my gosh. And she doesn't seem to. Okay. Now here's the thing. She might've internalized the misogyny of part of this and then the, the girl hate of it all. And it might actually be penetrating, but it feels like she's taking it as a compliment. Mm-hmm. It's, but I feel for Edie. I feel badly for Edie. I think she is sex shamed right into the ground. And the fact that she internalizes it doesn't necessarily mean it's okay either way. But nonetheless, Edie advises her to make Annabelle her best friend. That That's what you can do if this person is in great shape and is really competition to you. Pull her in, make her your best friend. That's exactly what I do. And Lynette says, but you don't have any female friends. She's like, yeah, nobody threatens me that much. I'm not yeah, happy. I love that. <laughs> oh, I, do, I like her confidence. I feel for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then we go to Paul's and Paul is telling Zach to stay away from Julie and you know, basically says like, it's a schoolyard crush. And Zach's like, no, I love her. She's the only one. If she doesn't love me, none of it matters. I know I'm telling this out of order, but um, no, absolutely. then Paul says something about Julie's a very special girl and can have anybody. Why do you think she would want you? Mm. So he's basically telling his son that he's not good enough for the girl across the street. And I get he's doing it to try to like talk him out of continuing to obsess, but like, it's the wrong it's the wrong thing to tell your kid. Absolutely. She, she's out of your league, buddy. Like, come on. So Paul is like, let's pack our stuff. Let's get out of town. Because if we stay and Susan goes to the police, they'll take you away from me. And Zach is like, I can't. I just need to stay and have Julie. Like, that is the only thing that matters to me. So again, confirming the obsession that we have here. Over at Lynette's dinner party. Annabelle and Tom briefly hold hands while talking about their work, and it was incredibly uncomfortable and cringy oh my and disrespectful, and I'm angry about it. Tom, um, why are you such a dumb animal? Like, come on. Again, I gotta go back to the writing is that, okay, fine, men wrote this, so this is not new to you. Like, this is something you experience, or you're drawing from something, so terribly interesting. I also hate, though, that, like, they're having this intense conversation about work and Lynette's just like running dishes back and forth. Like, yeah, it's like a server. Yes, exactly. Ooh, like talk Lynette, about internalizing the misogyny. 
Right. Lynette, assert yourself. You're better than this. We know we have seen evidence that you are better than this. Do you remember just a few episodes ago, she calls out the, you know, mama bear who is telling her that the costumes look like roadkill and tells her that she should meet her in the parking lot. They're going to handle this. They're going to handle this with a brawl. Um, So it's not that she backs down from a fight. You're absolutely right. It's just a totally different kind of fight here. And it's, uh, it's all sorts of things. She's trying to paint this Norman Rockwell painting of their marriage. And maybe it doesn't fit into that painting that you would be the trope of a jealous wife uh, who's jealous of girls at the office and things like that. But she is stage managing this to perfection, having the kids come downstairs and show a picture uh, that they painted of the family that apparently Lynette commissioned earlier this afternoon. Look, it's me, it's mommy and daddy and all of us. And we're a really happy family as if don't do anything to make us not happy. What, what What's wrong with you that you would do that? Right. Um, and Annabelle says it's beautiful and asks if they'd like to paint her portrait. And they say yes, because Annabelle is so pretty. And I'm crushed. Yeah. Tom, do better here. Like, stand mm-hmm. up for your wife. Also, Lynette, try. She's, like, punching, punching, falling to the ground, but still punching and says something to the boys about she's an old, old oh, that's good. friend of your daddy. You know, Tom goes and runs the boys upstairs. And Annabelle says to Lynette that, you know, this whole evening was the commercial for the perfect family. You couldn't have planned it any better. So, like, she's on to her. Like, Lynette. I mean that. Yeah. Lynette, she's on to you. So just stop. (sighs) Although, Tom, your wife is doing this because she feels cornered. She feels like she has to. So how are you going to make this better? Yes. It, it feels like that's a call that we've now seen. We have a call to Rex. Your wife is not feeling special or that there's something special about her. And she's getting that from George. Be there in that moment. Your wife right. is not feeling secure in your marriage, Tom. Be there for that moment. So yep. it feels like all of these calls to these husbands and they're just going unheeded. Yep. They need to take this opportunity to be the hero and fix the thing that their wife is literally like putting on a silver platter here fix this. This is not right. This is making me feel shitty. Fix it. Mm, Yes. Oh, I'm there for that. Meanwhile, not that like, not that we need a man to fix things, but when, when we have a thing and we say, this is gendered. Yeah. Right. You're my partner. This is where something is causing me strife. And in Tom's case, like it's your fault. In Rex's case, it's kind of your fault. You can contribute to the solution, even if it's not your fault. Right. Be part of the solution. Yes, mm. exactly. So back over to Paul. I feel like we're like ping-ponging back and forth between Paul and the Scavos. But I um, say, because that's exactly the, the whiplash I get. I have to say it's gotten better, I think, as the season progressed. And maybe they got that feedback. But there were times that we would cut in the middle of a scene. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it would to- drive me nuts. The ADHD Close. of it all. Just, yeah. Right. You're right. Yes. yes right. Yes, yes. So we've got Paul confronting Susan and saying, yep, Mary Alice's name was Angela. She was named after an aunt. They had a a thing. They fell out with each other. So she didn't want to be called that anymore. And Susan's like, I don't think that's something that Mary Alice would do. And Paul's like, can we just like put this to bed and like, just stop chewing on this bone. And Susan is like, well, I'd like to see that videotape because I'd like to see my friend when she was young. Susan. Show her that because she's not young in that tape. No, and Susan needs to keep her fingers away from the the match that's like <laughs> get like burning down to where her fingers are on that match. Although, I mean, I get it. She knows something's fishy and she's trying to she doesn't want to just let it go, but I feel like she's getting into the danger zone. Like this guy's not good. And she just keeps And you broke your promise to Mike. You said you would leave us all alone. Mm. <laughs> right. Not that I I mean again, I couldn't care less that you're breaking that promise to Mike. I wouldn't have made the promise anyway, but Right. It's 2005, so. Yes, yes. Hmm. At Tom and Lynette's, back to, I mean, it's not cutting in the middle of the scene, but it's still that arc, right? So at Tom and Lynette's, Annabelle's phone rings, and it's Peterson. She Hmm. takes, yeah, right? We have to answer our phones at all times because we have no boundaries. Hashtag quiet quitting. She (laughs) takes the call in another room, and Tom is furious. He finds it insulting the way Lynette is doing a dog and pony show this whole evening. 
And this is the line I really wanted us to dive into that we kind of alluded to earlier. Again, written by a man, give it some leeway here, but um, he says, how many times have you told me, Lynette, if you ever touch another woman, I'll take the boys and you'll never see any of us again. And you're not going to be happy until you drive me out of this marriage just to prove yourself right. I feel a couple of things here. One, I feel gaslit that if I cheat, it's your fault because you don't trust me and it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. No, if you cheat, it's because you're a cheater. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really that simple. And then the other piece that, and maybe Lynette did say this, but if you ever touch another woman, I'll take the boys and you'll never see any of us again. Man, why? So that Tom, so that Tom can live a bachelor life and be right. pleased as punch. Nope. Enjoy 50, 50 custody, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy having to run this show on your own without me here to make dinner and do the dishes and entertain your, your hot coworker. Also the, this is just things wives say to their husband, like what mm. the, what in the, I don't even have a word for it, but like, that is not something that wives say to their husband or it is. I mean, I guess maybe it is. I, I can't speak for all. Or, I mean, like, either way, but it's a brash generalization in general. Like yeah. I, I don't. And again, I feel like that is where I have to blame male writing or bad writing or right. whatever the case may be, because I just struggle with this blanket generalization that, you know, what happens in every marriage everywhere in the entire world. Right. But also. If you feel that strongly about cheating, that it that is an unforgivable because I know there there are plenty of marriages where that happens and you right. work through it and like that's Brianna, part of the history of, of your story that you found a way to exist in that and like whatever that like that's not for me, but that everybody has different experiences with that. But to say that like if somebody is saying if you ever touch another woman again, I'm I'm leaving and just trivializing that statement, like, well, that's just something his, like wives say to their husband, like, that's not okay either. Like, right. if somebody says, I am out of here, if you cheat on me, I'm good on them for standing up for themselves and for what is important to them. Because if you can't get past that in a marriage, like that's, how do you stay in that marriage? I don't know. Like, I, I felt weird about it from both sides of that coin. I agree. I felt weird about it too. Yeah. And then you're not going to be happy until you drive me out of this marriage just to prove yourself right. Like that's, that's, that was horrible. Again, it just, I I know for me, everything goes to a cult, but it feels very gaslighty. It feels very culty. It feels very, if I do this, then it really is your fault that I did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. Ooh, there's so much. It's zero. It's a zero ownership kind of statement. Yes. And meanwhile, uh, Annabelle reemerges and says that Peterson needs them to pull an all-nighter. I mean, darn. No. no. And Tom's like, I can't go. I've been drinking. I'll drive. She's like, I'll drive you. You know, like that's Sick. Tom, this is where you say, you know what? I'm I'll Lynette, can you drive me or I'll, I'll get a cab. Like, sorry. Like that's just not a, with what your wife has expressed to you. This has now reached a stage where you are making the wrong choice. Officially, and I'm sure I, I'm sure it's clouded for me that there's toxic work culture here. There's there's just so much happening. I'm not leaving my house. I'm not leaving my house. I did my job today at work. I did mm-hmm. it. I'm done now until tomorrow. My job now is to be a parent and a partner and a person. Yes, yeah, not right. an employee, a per- an actual person. Oh my goodness! Yes. Yeah, there's so much okay. going on there. Well, let's go over to Carlos's farewell party, which I'm actually surprised that they didn't get a caterer. I'm surprised that- Yeah, he's over there doing it. But you know what? They've had to be a little bit more thrifty lately with money. Except the Maserati spider that That's she was trying to in her driveway. Like, okay. But they can't like, catch the check yet, right? Am I still right that they can't catch the check yet? So I don't even know. I mean, you can, I guess you can take out a loan for that car and then pay it off. And now you're paying interest but if you were going to Can they it. take out a loan right now for that car? I have car? no idea. They might be so yeah. smashed that that's not yeah. possible. That was, a, that was a plot hole for me. But at any rate, Gabby and Carlos are over there working the grill, the grill. And Carlos is like, I got to go make a toast. So he leaves Gabby, who's obviously <laughs> like, like getting sick over the smell of that. She meat. also doesn't cook. No, no. So- so she runs to throw up, but grabs a bottle of wine from Susan's mom. Why does she take the wine? Is it so that when she throws up, she can come back and be like, oh, I'm so drunk. That's why I threw up. Like, what's, what's her point in taking that? 
I think it was actually champagne that she it was champagne. Mm-hmm. ran off with. So I don't know what that was about. But then we have George arriving with Ginger, which is so weird. And he's such an asshole to her and is like, don't drink anything. Don't talk to anybody. Like, <laughs> Yes. Try to fit in. Yeah. Ugh. He's also incredibly inconsiderate of the fact that she had plans that day to go to a, a yeah. what she said to a wedding. And he said it was a commitment ceremony. Now I just want to punch you in the face because like it feels yes. very homophobic or like I'm pulling on, I'm pulling on a thread there. Like you're yeah. inconsiderate, dismissive of the fact that she's an employee of yours and had a life of her own. Yeah. It's again, toxic work culture is, is yeah. getting me is that you're my employee. And if I say you're going to this barbecue and pretending to be my partner. (laughs) So much, so much bad. Then we have Zach and Paul showing up and Zach is in a suit. Yes. Like a, like a leisure suit. Like a, like you're going to the country club. Like a linen. I think of a leisure suit as like an Adidas, like a track suit with a zip up. Not a track suit. This is like a linen, like a Sunday suit. Okay. With like high and like, what? Very teenager. Showing up at this party in a suit. like The same teenager that gave out handwritten invitations and got made fun of by the Vanda Camp children who are just too cool for school. Too cool for school. But like, this is strange. And Julie, he's like, you know, can we hang out? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I just want you to leave me alone. Like, Mm -hmm. creeper, stop. Well, there's the assertiveness that you wanted her to have. Yes. Yes. In the bathroom, the champagne that Gabby grabbed on her way up, Gabby pours herself a glass of that champagne, but she can't bring herself to drink it. And I know it's because she's pregnant. And I know plenty of people who had champagne while they were pregnant or, you know, drink while they were pregnant in, you know, little doses. And there's lots of different things there, but Gabby just can't do it. She takes out her birth control and she's like hitting it, I think, in anger. <laughs> I've done that too. Like I've stubbed my toe. And so, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like... Kick the thing. Yeah. Well, not usually. I pick it up and throw it, but just it's hilarious. And as she does it, she sees that it's been tampered with. I got to say, I wouldn't have been, I don't know if I would have put two and two together that it was tampered with. I would think I just broke my birth control now. Yeah. I would never be like, oh my God, Joe, replace this with sugar pills. Like, Oh gosh, um, that was a callback to uh, SNL um, weekend update where Pete Davidson said he did that to Ariana Grande just to make sure she couldn't go anywhere. And I'm like, wow, that's real problematic. Um, he, I'm <laughs> oh, sure he didn't. I'm sure he didn't. It all worked out great if you're listening to this 10 years ago. Anyway. Silly, silly Pete. I love Pete Davidson. I do too. I do too. And I, I feel like Pete Davidson, my, my husband gets so mad at me about both Pete Davidson and MGK. He's like, you just want to have a home for lost boys where you, where you like, get, like you get them off whatever their addiction is. And like, oh my goodness. They, oh, anyway, that was a. Speaking of Saturday Night Live, that is Weekend Update is literally my absolute favorite. Who's your, do you watch it? Like, are you watching it currently? Okay. So what's your favorite, what's your favorite recurring weekend update? Um, yeah, I have have two girl. You you wish you hadn't started. (laughs) Girl, you wish you hadn't started a conversation with at a party. Okay. What's your other one? Guy who just bought a boat. Me too. I I die. I die when he's like, I have a small penis. penis. (laughs) That is hilarious. These are my two favorite. Anytime he comes on, anytime he comes on, my husband's like, I gotta pause it so you can see it. And I scream laugh. Like he's outrageous and douchey and oh god, it kills me. That's funny. Of course we have the same two favorites. I'm sorry, listeners. We're the same person. Do you even know which is Rachel and which is Amanda? That's why we have to take a picture someday and show you that we are. Yes. Actually someday. We tried. We had plans. Mm-hmm. Listener who wanted a picture of us. We had plans because we had like this all college meeting. Yes. And well, I had all college meeting. I don't know what you... Or it was picture day. It was, it was picture it was, day. But it, I didn't... It, professional photographer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I was in a bunch of meetings that didn't coincide with when Rachel's meetings were. So we couldn't get it together. And then we were going to take a picture last Monday because I came in and talked to her class. And we 
just didn't. I don't know why. But our but, professional life isn't that much different than us hanging out right now. We forget to do things like that because we're just enjoying being with one another, I think is the, the thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pixar didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Someday. Someday. <laughs> oh, thank you for that digression. I needed it. Yeah, it's um, good. Meanwhile, back at the party is Zaxi and Julie hugging another person. I call her uh, Joanna Robinson calls this a, a brown shirt. Like, I have no idea who that person is. I nope. don't think it's somebody that she necessarily has feelings for, but the the fact that Zach clocks it, we know that's going to be important later, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Rex grabs George and asks what he's doing here. And Bree says, oh, no, it's okay. George can be here because he has a girlfriend. Look, there's his girlfriend. Rex. She tells Rex he needs to apologize. He needs to say something. Mm-hmm. And Rex says, you know, some type of gesture would actually be appropriate. And the gesture that Rex has in mind is that he pushes George into the pool. Uh, but Bree tries to help George and goes in after him. And Rex, I mean, I'm honestly on Rex's side here. He's like, to be fair, I only pushed him in. This is on you. And it, yeah. it is. And it's kind of a metaphor for the whole situation. It's that you want to hold on to this person so much, it's going to take you down with it. Oh, ooh. Yes, I like the symbolism. Then we have Gabby storming out from the castle. Carlos, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Slaps Carlos in front of the party guests. And we have Edie over in the corner. Yes. Like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, like rubbing her hands together because she is here for this drama. She is like, this she party was- has just become my thing. Because she probably assumed this is going to be incredibly boring, but at least there would be good food there. She actually shows up, and I feel like she might even be hungover from the night before with the glasses and the, the the everything. But this level of intrigue, now we're awake and we're here for it. I like it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so then, so now the cat's out of the bag that there's a bun in the oven. And Susan goes to comfort Gabby and Gabby lets her know that she doesn't know who the father is. Dun, dun, dun. And Susan's like, I thought you ended that with John, the gardener. And Gabby's like, well, I didn't. And I'm honestly really shocked that she's honest like this. Me too. Particularly with Susan, who you know took her to task because she's been cheated on before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And as they're talking about this, Susan's kitchen explodes. When we cut over to Susan's kitchen, the firefighter says that there was a candle burning with the gas on. Sophie said, yeah, I was burning a candle, but I know I blew it out. And she does actually the same thing that I do when I'm trying to remember if I did something. She does it in the kinesthetic re the kinesthetic rewatch. It's like, okay, I put my hand here and then I did this. And yes, I'm positive I blew out that candle. Yeah, it wasn't me. But the kitchen is still exploded. So do you remember those candles that were like, round and they kind of were like stained glass-ish. They had like white in the middle, but when you lit the candle, it would look like a stained glass globe. Yes. yes. Okay. So my freshman year in the dorms at Oregon State, Cawthorn Hall for anybody who went to Oregon State, I had my roommate. I loved candles Mm -hmm. and I had one of those candles and I had it like on top of my refrigerator and I had to run and do something. And like, I, I don't know, like I forgot because it was like, it was down in the candle by this time. Like it wasn't like the the fires like at the top of the candle, right? That's how they were built. They kind of collapsed in on one other, on themselves. The pillar did. Yeah. So like I don't remember what I was going to do. I feel like honestly, I feel like I was going to meet somebody who was buying us wine coolers. Shocking. I know. I know. We were a big fan of wine cooler, but you sip it down and then you put a shot of vodka in it. That was our nice. that was our jam. Okay. Yeah. So I was running to meet somebody to get wine coolers. And then all of a sudden the fire alarm went off and like oh, the whole yeah. dorm is outside. And so I'm like outside with my bag of wine coolers. And oh. all of a sudden I had this like, holy shit, I left a candle burning in my room. Am I burning this dorm down right now? So I wasn't. And I, okay, I, I thought that, okay, good. Okay. Yeah, no, I did not set fire to the dorm. Although when I got back into my room, it was a drill. But when I got back in, that candle was in fact still learning. So it was, I learned learned my lesson about candles in the dorms that day. Uh, No, and you know, that era was like lousy with candles that did weird stuff. Like there were, I remember I had one that was like the, a slice of pie 
basically. Oh, and yeah. it, it did catch fire to something. We, it was a small containable fire, but I think it was even like on a TV or something. Oh, and so like it was like melting it. Oh, it was, it was nonsense. Like when you move, when you removed the candle, there was like the piece of plastic from the TV that was um, melty there. So I had a friend who used to try like in her apartment, she would like light, if she didn't have a match, she would like turn on her burner, but yeah. she had a, she had a um, electric. Uh-huh. So it was like a little coil. Oh, coils? So, oh, okay. Yeah. So she would like take a piece of paper and like roll it up. And like turn the coils, I swear to God, and turn the coils on and get the paper on fire and then use the paper to light whatever. But like, she wouldn't always have the thing close by that she was trying to light. So she'd like be like running through her apartment with like a flaming piece of paper, which. (laughs) Yeah, that's safe. No. So, so I would make the, the smoke detectors or fire alarms go off in one house that we had together my husband and I, and in my dorm, or not my dorm, it was an apartment. Okay. In an apartment because my hair dryer would get too hot. I have incredibly mm-hmm. thick hair and this was before the time where I could afford a Dyson. Yes. Um, so I would have like a $15 hair dryer and it would get really, really hot. And while it's not on fire, my room would be so hot at that point or the bathroom or wherever I was, it would make the smoke detectors go off because it was just that hot in the room. So then you'd have to like just open the door. But my roommates would get really pissed. Did you ever have the blow dryer that like would like catch itself on fire? I did not. I've not had that experience yet. No. That's great. When it's like off, but then all of a sudden it turns itself on no. and like fire's coming out. No, oh yeah, that happens a couple of times. Also, Thanks. shout out to Dyson for making a great hair dryer. Agreed. And the, you know, Dyson did not pay us to say that, but if they want to send us anything, that's fine. That's fine. We would definitely accept sponsorship from Dyson. Yes. I would also like some sponsorship from Trader Joe's. Okay. If you're yeah. listening. Yeah. We talk about jewelry a lot. So Tiffany's, if you have Tiffany's, anything, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Totally. Oh, with that being said, Brie goes to the pharmacy to apologize to George about the pool incident. George says that Rex is never going to let them be friends. And Brie said, well, nothing's going to stop us from being friends. Who says he needs to know how I'm going to spend my time? And it's not different than the Tom situation. I'm mad at Brie. If you want your marriage to work, I don't know why you're sabotaging. No, you're an idiot, Brie. You want to act like you are morally sound and like you are better than everybody and you always make the right choice and etiquette, blah, blah, blah. You are lying to your husband. And that's if your marriage allows for you to have a friend of the opposite gender that you go do things with, and, and that is within the boundaries that you and your partner have established, cool. If you want to do that and your partner's not letting you, letting you, like it's not Gilead, you're allowed to have permission to do what you want. But if your partner has said to you, you can do what you want, but this is how this makes me feel, you are intentionally sabotaging. And Rex couldn't be clearer about about how he feels about this. So, and, and she's even said, okay, I respect how you feel and I won't do that anymore. And now she's intentionally doing so. Yes. And I will say early on in this season, I thought Rex was a real shitbag, but mm-hmm. the last couple of storylines that he's been involved in, he is being honest. Mm-hmm. He is setting appropriate boundaries and advocating for himself. He advocated for his kid. He showed good parenting in the Andrew, like whatever it is, I'm your dad. I love you. I'm going to support you while Bree's saying like, well, I, th- you're going to go to hell. Like mm-hmm. Rex, I am on team Rex right now. Yeah, there's been growth there, and which is, again, why I think they're still in therapy, and unless she's just lying about it, but he's not going to let her lie about it or get away with lying about it. He's going to bring it up in therapy, so I, I there's a lot going on there, but here we are. Here we are. Oh, so back to Susan. She's blaming Paul Young for the fire. By the way, when she was meeting with the fire department, mm-hmm. Paul Young was creepily watching from his porch, yep. which he often does. Mm-hmm. Just put a rocking chair out there so you can sit down while you're creeping on people so you don't have to stand all the time since you do that so much. <laughs> it, so, no, it's more menacing when you're looming over them. I guess. I guess. Mm. So she goes to a private investigator and is like, this weird stuff is happening. I really think it's this person. And it small world ends up being Mr. Shaw. So 
who is the same, yeah, the investigator that Paul Young has been using. So it's going to be really convenient for him here soon, yeah. I'm sure. That's right? going to be easy, easy dollars for him because he's already on that job. Ugh, what a small world. So Mary Alice comes back on and she said, yes, spring comes every year to Wisteria Lane, but not everyone remembers to stop and smell the flowers. Some are too busy worrying about the future or mistakes they've made in the past to Gabby. Others are preoccupied with not getting caught. Brie, just like you said, clandestine, put on the sunglasses or thinking of ways to catch someone else, Susan. Still, there will always be a few who take a moment to stop and appreciate what spring has given them, just as there will always be those who prefer to sit in the dark, brooding over everything they've lost. And we see Zach with a lighter and this, I'm calling it a shrine to Julie, yeah. that that obsession, that malevolence, it's so very clear right there for us, right? Yes, but I don't think Zach lit the fire. Mm, okay. Because I think that would be too obvious. Like you don't have this fire and then all of a sudden he's there with his lighter. Like, and I think he loves Julie too much because he doesn't want her dead. He wants her to be with him. I yes. don't know. I think I think he's just sitting there being creepy with a lighter, okay. which okay. I think teenagers probably did in the early 2000s. Yes. Back when light, right. Lighters were more of a thing. Like I have played with a lighter before. I can't use um, a lighter. No, it is a. It, it's super weird. I cannot do it. So when I light candles, I have the very long ones that we had for my wedding. The very long lighters. Yes, the bar like a barbecue lighter. Exactly. I like Fun those. Fact. We have our barbecue lighters out, and I just have never like had it on my list to get it when I go somewhere where I would get something like that. Mm-hmm. And so instead, we have this box of matches that we use to light Ooh, things. Very old school. It is, and it's a very old box of matches because the side, <laughs> like the little gritty side, where you light on is it's soft now so I have to like look for like the tiny piece of grit to try to strike a match so I don't believe that it's Zach I think it's somebody else I think that they are setting us up to believe that it is Zach time will tell ready for two truths and lie we have time for it right yes go okay so which of these is the lie Mark Cherry said originally the plot was that Tom had a child with Annabelle that he and Lynette didn't know about But the network just felt that was too much, that it would ruin the relationship for Lynette and Tom. It was very upsetting to Tom Speziali and me because it was such a good secret and the complications were so rich. And they were sad they couldn't do it. Terry Hatcher said, The day we blew my house up, there was no one to be found on Wisteria Lane. When a house explodes, no one wants to be around. Too many possibilities of something going wrong and too many liability waivers to sign. Or Felicity Huffman said, Let's run lines. But Doug, the actor who plays Tom, was down there laughing and giggling with Melinda McCraw, who plays Annabelle. Before I know it, I say, stop flirting with Melinda and get over here and run lines with me, which is such a Lynette thing to say. Which is the lie? The blowing up the house. Yes, you're absolutely right. Terry Hatcher said everybody was there. She said more people were there on the day they blew up her house than the day that Oprah visited the Wisteria Lines. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So next week we're quite a journey. Yeah. That was quite a journey. Where are we headed? We are where are we headed? You tell us. Oh, um Sunday in the park with George. Sounds delightful. Oh. And until then, I'm Rachel. And I'm Amanda. And thank you for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. Bye.